Welcome back, my friends. I'm so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. <laughs> Welcome to Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. Joining us on our first journey into the forest looking for the light will be filmmaker, director, actor, editor, producer, and Twin Peaks fan extraordinaire, Josh Eisenstadt. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Josh. So, Josh, thank you for coming, and how the hell are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Stuart. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started. And, and I'm also going to introduce Jesse Pate, who Hi. is kind of here in a, you know, he's casually sitting back. He's kind of far away from a microphone. That's the way I like it. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know if no, you can he hear doesn't. that or he's not. An Probably actor. not. He's an actor, too. So, And a writer and a producer. And uh, man wears many hats. Both these guys do. So, we're going to start right now. Josh, let me ask you how you first got introduced to Twin Peaks. Okay. Uh, basically, I was a kid when it was first on. How old were you? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but somewhere 6th or 7th grade. Okay. So, what, 12, 13, Around perhaps? There. I think 12. Okay. And uh, my parents were watching it because they liked David Lynch. They never in a million years thought of introducing me to this thing. And they were watching, it was the first airing of what would technically be episode 002, but in reality it's the third episode, counting the pilot as one. It's the third, the dream sequence episode, okay. which is an amazing episode. And they're watching that, and I walked in near the beginning, the second scene of the episode. And there's something I wanted to show my dad in the other room. I don't remember what it was. It's a while back. And I walked in, and they're watching this, and something about it captured me right away, and I don't know what it was. And I started sitting there watching it, and I was pulled in in an amazing way. And I remember there were commercial breaks because it aired on ABC, you know, back in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember by the time we got to the end, when the dream sequence happened, at the end of that episode, I was so hooked I couldn't tell you. And I remember it ended, and I remember I turned to my parents, and I said, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I want to know everything about this. And as I say, I guess, famous last words, right? Yeah. Well, and here I am, 25-some years later. And um, so, obviously, you became a fan, but you became a filmmaker later. So Yes. That predated, the wanting to be a filmmaker predated that. Yes? Oh, good. Okay. Uh, well, that, tell me how that started. As far interest. back as I can remember, I knew I wanted to do that. Yeah? I have video footage of me at age seven. I was my grandparents saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a movie director. And I wrote it in my first grade paper. And it's just something I kind of always knew. That's fantastic. So that's always been something I wanted to do. So that was always been, I mean, it's always been what I wanted to do, not something, what I wanted to do. Yes. Now, did you have formal training? Did you go to film school or? Uh, my main, mainly by learning and observing. Um, I was around a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, my aunt was an actress who was oh. one of the stars of Animal House. She's kind of mainly known for that. Really? Well, uh, and who is your aunt? Her name is Martha Smith. She played Babs in Animal House. Yeah. Well, God, that's the classic, story, what, the to one say the least. The one that yeah. Jim Belushi says, you're, or John, John Belushi, not Jim Belushi, yeah. sorry. John Belushi says to her, you're a PIG pig. Or she says to him, to him, you're a PIG pig. Yeah. That's kind of her big famous scene. And, well, you know, cool. That, that's so. awesome. I'll so I kind of threw her. And then there were directors and actors that lived on the block I grew up on. So I kind of watched them. Uh, Who would that have been? May I ask? Um, there was a director when I was a kid, I think, 
9, 10, 11, that was doing a sitcom at the time called Perfect Strangers. Oh, Perfect He was the director Strangers? of that show. Sure. So he invited me to go watch him work because he knew I was interested in directing and kind of experiences such as that kind of that I got to observe and was kind of learning and observing my whole yeah, life. So yeah. when I got to, when I started going to UCLA, I started working on my first film and making it then. Uh, and uh, then around that time when I finished that film, it was very low budget. And so when I finished that first film, I needed to learn how to edit it. And uh, interesting Twin Peaks connection, the person that taught me how to edit back then had an old Avid system, but kind of showed me stuff in Final Cut Pro, which is what I ended up learning, mm. was uh, Richard Beamer. Oh, Richard Beamer ben taught Horn. you to edit. Ben Horn from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yes. And of course, yeah. fine actor yeah. and also goes back to the 50s and 60s, Absolutely. Right? Well, gee, so no better way to get your experience, your hands-on so experience. So those are some of, yeah, some of the experiences. And, you know, I mean, obviously the Twin Peaks thing, I mean, that led to a lot of things, too, because I, you know, meeting a lot of people yeah. through that. And, and um so your first film, well, UCLA. So the first short film. It was a feature. It was a feature. It was your first film was a feature. Insanely ambitious. Yes. And to it was, say the I always least. say it's one of those things where you just do what, you know, go crazy because it's your first project. Yeah. And you don't know that you can't. So you do it. Oh, well, um, that's good. good and, but it, it got done, it got completed, and I did some film festivals with it. And then uh, that was kind of the first one. And I had some. Uh, I guess that came out, um, I mean, that was completed, because I remember uh, Bonnie Ahrens was in my first feature, she's also in my latest one, mm -hmm. who was in uh, Mulholland Drive, and she's the uh, the nun, she's the bum in Mulholland Drive and the nun in the nun movie. The bum in Mulholland Drive? Okay. Yes. Okay, I've been compared to her, I think, a time or two. Well, yeah, I think she even made the comparison to me and said, you know, I could be, I could have been one of the woodsmen. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, well, you're not a man, but yes, I guess. Yeah. And the original uh, woodsman, yeah. So let me hear a little about uh, your family. Your parents were Lynch, David Lynch fans already or liked them. So which kind of tells him. me they were, they had an eye on art. Or oh, they absolutely. Were creatives. Were your folks uh, creatives as well? They weren't. Well, my mom a little bit has always been into photography. She still yeah. is. Okay. Uh, she also worked at the LA County Museum of Art oh, as a docent well, when I was growing up. So she was fantastic. very, so I was all around that. Yeah. Growing up. My dad is definitely not a creative person. Yeah. He was a businessman. Someone uh, has to feed everybody. He'd be, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he'd be the first person to tell you he's not a creative person. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, he's appreciated. Uh, I think he appreciates the more linear works of David Lynch mm. and gets a little bit more confused by the more abstract ones. Uh, okay. And so when I try to explain it to him, I think sometimes he says, okay, that's too much. I can't, too much information. That was when I was trying to explain season three to him I remember yeah well that'd be pretty tough to do anyway I, I would can, imagine I, I can I, I've got explanations yeah I can't say sure the explanations do. but I've got explanations for everything yeah it's well my god I can't I think almost everyone that's ever tried to tell me or give me an interpretation of the show they're always different it's never the same and we all know that David Lynch is never gonna speak on it he just says yeah that was that's good you know, exactly. Whatever you think, you know. Yeah. But um, anyhow, you did mention earlier to me that Russ Tamblin and Richard Beamer used to come to your house for dinner. For anyone that doesn't know, we're talking like Hollywood royalty. These guys were in West Side Story. 
Um, I'm much more familiar, really, with Russ's career. Right. I mean, he was Tom Thumb. I remember seeing that in the theaters. Uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is a total classic. And the musical, and all musicals, is West Side Story, without a doubt. Uh, at least in my mind, it is. Best soundtrack ever. Yeah. Russ was always very happy to talk about, you know, anything throughout his career. Yeah. Well, as Dr. Jacoby, he's had a second life. Yeah. Dr. Amp. Now, yeah. Yeah. And whatever else he may do. Uh, I just got to meet him at the Festival of Disruption, and it was a highlight for me, no doubt. So who are some of your other influences as far as directors, writers? Uh, Well, there's a lot. Um, I love a lot of the films of the Coen brothers, uh, Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Roman Polanski. We're on the same page. A lot of the classic ones, you know, Hitchcock, a lot of Hitchcock stuff. Sam Peckinpah, by any chance? Yep, absolutely. I was just talking about Straw Dogs the other day with someone. Classic, great movie. Yes, you know, I was too. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember who. (laughs) I actually was talking about Straw Dogs and somebody's asking me if the, I don't, trying to remember who this was. Somebody's asking me if I saw the remake of Straw Dogs and I said I did not. I didn't either. But how do you uh, beat that original? And I've said that with a lot of films. Why remake? I think exactly. we just had the same conversation in the car. Why remake something when it's ah, not wrong the first time? Exactly. They got, got it right it's the a classic first time. the first time. And there's I mean, only one Sam Peckinpah, yeah. only one Dustin Hoffman. You go back and you remake films that are horrible. That would make sense. Nobody ever does that. They only remake good films. Yeah. What's the point? Well, James Marsden was pretty good in the new one, but it was very similar, like you're saying. But why do it? You guys hear that? Jesse was just saying that James Marsden was in the last version. Mm -hmm. Well, he's he's certainly capable. He's very good. He's fantastic in Westworld. Yes, he was great in Westworld. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed Westworld a lot myself. So now let's talk about your movies then. So so your first venture into filmmaking was a full-length film. Yes. And what what was it More than full-length. More than full-length. Okay. Yeah, but, more than full length. And how? And so that launched. Hopefully, that got seen. That by did, some but people, uh, that or? did, but it was more the second one after that. Yes. And then from there to a short film. The second one after that was one actually that I worked on with Jesse over here. Okay. Yeah. Called great. red, called Red Lightning. Yeah. Which was a second feature that was done a couple years later. And uh, that was, that one was completed. Uh, you know, also pretty low budget and. Uh, when that was done, that did a lot of film festivals and got seen. And then I did a, a short, and this is the thing that really launched everything, called uh, Inner Balance. Inner Balance. Which was the opening scene for a feature film that I still want to do. Hmm. Um, and Dana Ashbrook was starring it. Oh, cool. Okay. And it was shot by, uh, we shot in 35 millimeter uh, Panavision cameras, and it was uh, shot by a DP, Eric Spielberg, who then went on to do a whole bunch of big movies now. Oh, that's great. He did great. a Juno and Up in the Air. Did, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All of those films. Big yeah. titles. And no then, uh, yeah, I think, actually, I saw that he recently did the new Baywatch movie, which I didn't see, but he did that. It was funny. I saw it. Did you? Yeah. Well, how was, yeah, the, yeah, cin- how was the cinematography? It, it, it how was, was the very, cinematography? Very I guess that's yeah, the question. to that. <laughs> but yeah, I remember, yeah. But he's a really great cinematographer, so we did that, and that really came out incredibly well. And, of course, Dana Ashbrook is Bobby Briggs. Yes, Peaks, yeah. yeah, Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks, yeah. uh, both the original and season three as well. Yep. So Dana was in that, and uh, that kind of, then that launched me to be able to get, you know, over a million dollars in funding to the next one. Oh, that's based awesome. Based on that. 
I've never seen that much money in my life, but <laughs> it wasn't for me. It was yeah, for the film right budget. to make the movie, yeah. which is uh, but it's still, still a really with my name low on budget. It with, you know, and, and I mean, count with my name on it with over a million dollars in it. Hey, still looks pretty. You know, I can't go out and spend it, but it's still. Sure, you you know that Laboem and Hugo's are right down the street. <laughs> Frank <laughs> Musso. I mean, anywhere you want to go. There was nothing I wanted no. to do more than make a movie. If I had my own, if I had earned one point five million dollars at that point, I would have spent it on a film. So that's oh, yeah. where my head was. Well, that's great. So obviously, that's the first thing, I'm, and that's what it was for, and that's what we did. Yeah. And the idea was to launch his it, career. And right? you did this all within that budget. Yes. We made that film that budget. Also shot that in 35 millimeter. We had uh, Edward Furlong in it and yes. Lance Henriksen, who is an amazing actor. Oh. I can't say enough good things about working yeah. with Lance Henriksen. Oh, nice. Lance is great. Uh, Tony Todd, who played Candyman. Yeah. Mercedes McNabb. A ton of. We had a cameo by Rick Baker, who was the, uh, who's like Academy seven, uh, seven-time Oscar uh, winner, who did the all the makeup. makeup. Yeah, the makeup. Right? Oh yeah. I he did a cameo in the film. Oh, and he also awesome. does cameos on other films. He does makeup for. He didn't do. And I remember the makeup people saying, I'm really intimidated today. I have to do makeup on Rick Baker. Ah, I bet. Saying, yeah. But I he bet. was the nicest guy in the world. I mean, people were kind of just because he's, this guy's got seven Oscars. And I seven he, Oscars. Yeah. And I remember Amazing. you'd be in line. I remember he was in line for craft service and they're saying, Mr. Baker, go ahead, go first. We were <laughs> trying to move him to the and, and he's line. saying, no, I'm, I'm working the same film as all of you. I'm going to stay way in line with everybody else. Cool. I mean, that's the kind of guy that's just the nicest guy. Made a great pirate. And a couple years later, I found out that Catherine Coulson was friends with Rick Baker, which oh, I didn't really? even know. Yeah. Catherine Coulson's like an aunt to Josh. Oh, this really? was, this and was. Catherine Coulson, who passed away yes. in 2015, is 2015 that right? 2015 is correct. Yeah, it was the log lady in Twin Peaks. She was also in David Lynch's first film, or one of his first films, Eraserhead. Well, he, she, was in a, she was in a deleted scene in Eraserhead. Deleted scene? Yeah, but she worked as a camera assistant on Eraserhead. And oh, okay. Worked on the whole thing, yeah. Well, that's family for and you, isn't it? Yeah, she was right there. She was in the crew of a racer yeah. too, you know, and was in a deleted scene. Well, awesome. Which is a scene where she's uh, uh, tied to a bed. Oh, really? Uh, with somebody else, and there's a man with a black box. Yeah. That's sparking. Sparks coming out of the black box and electricity on it. Ah, well, that's approaching I'm them and, that part of Lynch's work. <laughs> and and uh, the scene got cut. There was a piece of it that was released on David Lynch's website, davidlynch.com, of that scene. Yeah? Just one little uh, angle of it that was released many, many years ago when that website was on, but it was only viewable on the website. Wow. Back in, I think, 2002, 2003, somewhere back there. That's but I'm getting off topic. No, it's okay. Uh, what was I even, how did I even segue into Catherine? Oh, yeah, Catherine, yeah, because, uh, yeah, she had actually, they had done a uh, Twin Peaks thing in 2011 at the Hollywood show in Burbank that they were having, a collector show, a cast reunion at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Catherine had said that she uh, had left the log with Rick Baker. And I said, you know Rick Baker? I didn't even know. And it turns out she did. Wow. Which well, was, that's a trip. I mean, enough that, and he's the type of guy you can trust him with the log. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's saying a lot for that log. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah. I never, I've never been to this place, but I'm sure he does. But yeah, one of the nicest guys. But so that film got distributed internationally. Uh, did some theatrical showings. It did theatrical in Germany. We did a million film festivals all over the place. We were in Redbox, you know, Hollywood Video, Blockbusters, all that stuff. And these films are the still US. available yeah. online or mm-hmm. Redbox yeah. or wherever? Well, Redbox oh, only keeps, I mean, this was, in, this was released in 2010 or okay. 2009. Well, before we're through or when we're through, we'll put some links on my website. Oh. And uh, so if people want to So, I mean, Hollywood Video is gone. Blockbuster Video is gone. No, Redbox. Blockbusters? Nah. Redbox, Red you know, 
rotates every six months. I think it was it was in Redbox for a while. It was one of the earlier releases in Redbox. Oh, that's right. awesome then. It's also movie gallery and family video. Yes, it was in those. It was in all this. It was every. It was all over the place. And then mm-hmm. internationally, we pretty much sold every country in the world. So we did actually. We looked at every single territory and actually sold the entire world as far as we can. Find. As far as we can tell, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So that that did pretty well, and then dark real. That's dark real. Dark and real. Well, there's that's... an extra fee, and then when we were doing dark real, there's a short film. Well, not a short film. There's a film just to kind of go through the history, doing kind of quick history. Basically, my directing work. I'm not yeah, kind of skipping yeah, anything. I was just sure. doing the directing work. Please. Um, so when we were doing Dark Real, there was a movie within a movie in Dark Real. And uh, the idea I had to come up with, Lance Henningsen's character owned a B-movie company. So I had to come up with a really cheesy B-movie. And Ed Furlong's character was a fan of these cheesy B-movies. Mm, okay. Like the cheesiest idea I could come up with. So I thought of this thing, okay, got to come up with something really cheesy. And the idea I came up with was something called Gnome Killer. And what this was, it would be playing in Lance Henriksen's character's office in the background, and Ed Furlong would be watching it on his TV. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that uh, it's this cheesiest thing I think of. This uh, six-foot-tall man has a gnome hat and a beard on, believes he's a gnome, and basically kills anybody that has a garden gnome on the front lawn because he believes they've kidnapped his friends. That was just the original idea, yeah. which is completely absurd and ridiculous. And, you know, they'd have... The main character, female character, is played by the horror movie actress Tiffany Shepis, that she'd be running and screaming stuff like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, gnomes. And it's really <laughs> cheesy, you know, stuff and um, that kind of thing. So we did that. And then when I was doing the film festival circuit, when we do the Q&A after screenings, I'd get people again and again and again asking about Gnome Killer. That was something that people just loved for some reason. That part of it people latched onto. Yeah. So when we got our DVD release, I had a thought. I said, you know what? I want to do a short film for the DVD extras called The Making of Gnome Killer 2. Make it kind of a mockumentary by this uh, fictional character named Vern McGuine. Came up with this whole idea for this character. Public access. Sounds like fun. Yeah, basically uh, doing a mockumentary, 15, 16 minute mockumentary, The Making of Gnome Killer 2, taking place eight years later. As in like a public access type production? Yes. Is what you're saying? That type of thing. Okay. And then uh, I thought then, be, there's a whole thing that goes on in the movie, but I thought there'd be a different person directing the movie within the movie. So I thought, well, let's make it this mob character named Louis Maguzzi, who? who's, a, uh, who, who's um, a capo in the, in the mob now, who's been bought in with this B-movie company to do this film. Oh, okay. And is being interviewed. And so, yes. About, about the movie, yeah. Correct. Okay. So basically, we did that and then filmed little scenes from Gnome Killer 2, and I thought, okay, that's it, done uh, with that, because we've ever played the joke. Maybe not, but... Uh, at that point, I thought we did. And that was uh, quite well received. People seemed to really, also really like that. Nice. And that's on the DVD with the movie. So okay. after the end of the movie, it picks up and that's, as you say. Yeah. But that's a straight out absurd comedy. Okay. You know what? Um, we just happen to have the Gnome Killer theme here. Yes, we do. Directly and from the soundtrack, correct? Correct. And this here may also, I'm just going to hint at this. There's another project that I'm working on yeah. that may relate to this. Well, awesome. So, folks, we're going to get into and it And this right was now. just what I, what I told the composer in this one was uh, basically give me very cheesy 80s B-movie electronica type track for this. Yeah. That was kind of what I asked for for this. Okay, well, cool. Well, folks, we'll be listening to that right now. Oh, 
Okay, Josh, so tell us a little more about the song. Who wrote it? The song was written by Jim Kaufman and Ron Underwood. Yes. And uh, I met them because their band, they had written a band at the time called Opiate for the Masses. Opiate for the Masses, good And two of their tracks were in uh, Dark Reel, two of their Mm. band's tracks. Great. And they actually performed live in one of the scenes in the movie. And uh, so I ended up, they were great, they were really great musicians, and I ended up kind of having them do the whole score. Nice. So they composed this theme, all the major themes in the movie. Uh, I believe there were two tracks in there that John Neff composed. Oh, nice. That were also included in there. But uh, most of the music were, and uh, John mixed the film. Oh. We mixed it up in uh, Northern California at the time. It was a lot of fun mixing that film. Awesome. You know, John is going to be one of my next guests. Oh, wonderful. John mixed my last three projects. He mixed Inner Balance. And for anybody that doesn't know John Neff, John is a musician, Mm -hmm. producer, writer, David Lynch songwriting and recording partner. Mm -hmm. Also was very tight with Walter Becker of Steely Dan. They built a studio together Mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Um, John was part of the Dan Cam, which was Steely Dan's like webcam system, which I used to check out like 15, 20 years ago or whenever they had it going. And um, fascinating gentleman. And I would say right now, maybe my engineering guru, you know, or I mean, it's not often I get to ask somebody of that caliber. Absolutely. <laughs> get tips and suggestions on things so and john i first worked with on inner balance the one i talked about with yeah. Dana. he mixed that short and then my last two features uh dark Will and spreading darkness which i guess i'll talk about later which is the newest one that just came out well that's great um which i'll talk about in a little bit but uh yeah he mixed those and uh did some of the music also but jim coppin i'm sorry jim coppin and run underwood who did this theme and did most of the themes for dark Will, were really great musicians and uh, wonderful to work with and uh Definitely plan on working with uh, Jim again in the near future. Nice. Now, is the uh, the track we you just played for me available as a single or anything? We never did release the soundtrack. I okay. know we talked about it, but we never did. So as of now, it's unavailable. Doesn't mean it'll stay that way. Okay. Well, let's see if there's some interest, and maybe we can get Josh to get that out there on iTunes yeah. or SoundCloud or something like I that. I can talk to, talk to them about that and, uh, you know, everybody that has music That'd in it. That'd be great. And yeah. also, there's uh, my friend Adam Harding who is a band called Dumb Numbers that's actually done some work with... Uh, Dumb Numbers? Dumb Numbers. Actually did a split single, done some stuff with David Lynch, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, one of my longtime friends has a great musician, has a track, actually, in every feature film I've ever made. Really? Including Dark Reel, and uh, he's also on that soundtrack. Oh, so, terrific. Yeah. Um, so that was... Uh, yeah, we... Uh, we never did release that soundtrack, but uh, I know we talked about okay. it. Okay, so well, I'm going to ask you a question right now. You just said that the band that recorded the last tune, or at least the guy's band from mm-hmm. that song, from Gnome Killer theme, played live in your film. Yes. Now, they're... go ahead, because I've worked on a lot of movies, uh, TV shows with, with music. And it's they're live in the scene. In the never film. live. It's not really live, but you know what, what I'm saying is we recorded them performing oh, okay they're actually but it was pre-recorded it was pre-recorded of course, okay. yeah but it's uh they're performing in the scene so when you're watching the film it appears that they're playing live okay cool. it created, i just broke the illusion we create the illusion that they're playing live let's put it that way but yeah. they were there playing <clears throat> their instruments or you know i used to they actually the, were playing their instruments too. In the early days for me of doing background i worked on glee a fair amount when it was you know a mammoth show and there were some pretty good singers there but 
there's only one girl they let sing live, you know, and that was Michelle, uh, Leah, or Leah Michelle, Leah Michelle. Oh my God, she was so powerful. Wow. So was the girl Mercedes as well. Those two girls had voices that just filled a room tremendously. But mm. they were still really going to yeah. a recorded track. So yeah. anyway. <clears throat> Same here. I mean, they did, they were playing the instruments, but they were going, doing yeah. it along to a recorded track. And then we obviously synced it to the recording at the end. Cool. So yes, that is true. But we did do playback and they were pretty spot on huh? they were spot on with what they were doing so we were yeah. able to match it all up well that's great so okay well that answered that question <laughs> absolutely yes yes and uh so let's hear a little more about your next project what's going on um my next project or my latest okay let's talk about the latest okay the latest is uh, another feature film that came out basically in walmart and a lot of the stores here in america beginning of january there's going to be I'm going to have more news on this soon, but I don't want to say anything until it happens. Uh, but as of now, we had that DVD release in the U.S. Uh, it's called Spreading Darkness. It's starring uh, Eric Roberts, John Savage, James Duvall, Dominique Swain, um, Robert Davi, a lot of uh, Musetta Vander, Rena Riffle, a lot of... Uh, Good cast members in there. I'm going to mention Connie Woods. Oh, Connie well. Woods is in there too. Yes. What am I even? How do I leave Connie? <laughs> yes, Connie Woods is in there. Correct. Um, and oh, and Jesse. Jesse's yes. in it. I was at the premiere at USC. So. That is true. Okay, Stuart, you've seen this one. You're I right. Have you were there. Seen it. Okay, so you know exactly what to ask me about this one. Well, let me ask you. I, I mentioned this once before to you guys mm-hmm. that it had elements or kind of reminded me in a way, especially Jesse's part, mm-hmm. reminded me a bit of the film King of Hearts, which uh, mm. was with Alan Bates back in the late 60s, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe early 70s. Um, great film out there. It's really about the people in the insane asylum running the asylum, you yes. know? Yes. And... Um, Fabulous movie, great story. I mean, perfect timing in the late 60s. Your movie definitely reminded me. It had elements, and I know you've never seen it, so, you know, there's no plagiarism or anything like that, and I don't want to even suggest it. Why did I even say it? I don't know. No, 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 but definitely. Everything is, yeah. everything is influenced by something. Hey, look. Everybody I, is influenced. Oh, not just influenced. I mean, most masters tell you to steal from the masters. Oh, until absolutely. It becomes your own. Ab- and, and everybody does. Everybody, yes, everybody has to. influences. Everybody's the sum total of their influences. So nothing. Absolutely. You know, there's only. It's like what musicians say. There's only so many chords. You know, I mean, there's only so many. True. So many things. So many tricks. You know. So yeah, absolutely. It becomes yourself becomes a combination of yourself yeah. plus your influences all mixed in a pot and stirred together. I mean, you know what? Yes. Okay. But the, so no, absolutely. I don't. Any comparison, I is is great. Yeah. And yeah, the psychiatrist office scene is definitely one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, I remember that was day one of filming on that film. It was, huh? That was day one, and uh, first day it was uh, we had Eric Roberts and then John Savage that first day, and uh, that was quite a. We did a company move on our first day, which was insane, but we did it. Yeah. And. Uh, it was a fun day. And you shot all around here. We're in Los Angeles. We're in West Hollywood right now, but you shot all of this locally? Spreading Darkness was all shot in L.A., yeah. Uh-huh. Many locations? Or? A whole bunch. Yeah? A whole bunch of locations, um, yeah. I always seem to tend to have mansion locations, but same thing with Dark Real. Dark Real was insane for locations. This one, a little bit less so. Mm-hmm. 
um, we still had quite a few. We were all over the place. And, um, well, let's see. So we've, we've talked about that some. Now, I know that um, Spreading Darkness, like you just said, it's available online. It's available through Walmart.com. Well, at Walmart in the stores. I don't know if it's still and, there. Oh, okay. It was in the store. It was in a lot of the stores. Family videos, the Ross Rental places. Hey, folks. Coming up on Hanukkah and Christmas real fast. However, be careful so. because some of them... Some of the versions of it are missing sound effects, and that's uh, an issue some aren't. But really? Is yes. there a way to determine? Or? Oh, really? If you hear so. missing sound effects that should be there, you got Well, how would you know if they're missing if you haven't heard them before? Fully. <laughs> missing fully, if you notice missing fully. Okay, well, there you have it. Um, okay, so let me ask you a little bit about working with uh, mm-hmm. Robert Davi, Eric Roberts, John Savage, Dominic Swain. I mean, these are people that have had fairly illustrious careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I forgot another really good one, too. Irene yes. Bedard was okay. also in it, who's also a great actress. She was, uh, she's was she been in a lot of Terrence Malick's films. Oh, okay. And so is John Savage, actually, now that I think about it. But John Savage, he's been in everything. So when you're working with actors of that ability... Mm-hmm and strong character actors, how do you direct them? I mean, do you have Okay, a- this is, a, it's different for every actor. Yes. And certain ones, like Dominique Swain was a friend of mine for a long time before I worked with her. Okay. Same with James Duvall, so I kind of already had a bit of a language with them. Um, basically, I like to meet with everybody first to kind of get to know them. Certain actors really like to get into their characters and want to meet multiple times, like Lance Henriksen, I think I met with him many times before we started mm. filming. Okay. And he got so into that role. And just so wonderful to work with. And uh, it really just depends on the actor. But a lot of actors, I say, the more experienced they are, sometimes the less they need. Yeah. For instance, there, some of the actors that were great in Spreading Darkness that were less experienced would be more, and they were so amazing. But what it would be would be more of uh, working them through different beats. Whereas somebody that's been, you know, had a 60-year career, sometimes it's one little thing, one little word or one little phrase. And they click into that and they got it. Yeah. Uh, one example being uh, Musetta Vander, who is uh, amazing. She plays a character named Harriet, who's kind of a mysterious character that shows up multiple times throughout the film. And with Harriet, uh, we don't quite reveal exactly what or who she is, but there's hints. With Harriet, um, Musetta, I remember, tell- I remember the exact direction I gave her near the beginning when she was asking about the character. And she took this, and she's also had a long career great character actress uh, I remember I told her this and as soon as she took this and internalized it and this was what it took and the character there it was and it was uh, Harriet is a lot smarter than everybody else she's ten steps ahead of everybody else of everybody else and she revels and delights in this fact and as soon as she had that there it was she just nailed it from there so if you watch her performance with that in mind you'll see what I'm talking about cool okay and yeah so there was just a yeah, a lot of just a great cast to work with. And uh, I mean, everybody top to bottom. I mean, there was a guy named, uh, that we discovered through auditioning named uh, Brian Graves. who plays this character named Davis Menzi that has this big emotional scene on the roof. And he was, uh, I mean, just he, he made everybody basically tear up at the audition even. Oh, really? And we filmed the scene on the roof. I mean, there wasn't even a dry. The cr- crew was emotionally moved by it. Wow. Well, that's uh, he powerful. Was just, just very, very powerful. Great actor. I think he's has a big chance of going places. And, nice. Uh, and what's his name again? Brian Graves. Brian Graves. We'll I'd like to give a shout out to everybody in the cast. Please. Everybody was great. I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get every single name now, like on the spot. But uh, Go right ahead. 
Connie Woods, of course. We talked about Connie. Yeah. Connie's amazing. And Connie was the new girl in season two of Twin Peaks. And one. And one as well. Yeah. Her, she first appears in the, actually the first episode I walked in on, my parents watching. Oh, well, that would be a reason Connie's to stay. <laughs> So there you go. Well, Connie's an angel and mutual friend now yep. of mine as well. Um, and go on, go on. Who else would you like to give a shout oh, out okay. to? Well, let me think about it. Oh, Robert Donovan. How did I not mention Robert Donovan? Mm-hmm. Okay. Robert Donovan, when I was talking about Gnome Killer 2 and Vern McGuine, yeah. he plays his character Vern McGuine, who is absolutely hilarious. He's the guy that's making the uh, mockumentary. And so I had this idea for Spreading Darkness about a character, and this was kind of an early idea, about this character that would be coming into the place who might be an assassin or some kind of shady character, but for some reason he walks in and claims that, he was, that the moon landing was a hoax and he was the cinematographer on the moon landing. And that's what he does. He walks in claiming that, as though it's a fact. And for some reason I found that quite amusing as a character idea. Yeah. And right away when I thought of it, I thought of him instantly for the role. And then the role kind of got tied to the Harriet character and it kind of became part of this movie. And so those two play off of each other, Musetta Vander, who I was talking about, and Robert Donovan. And Robert Donovan is a great character actor. He's got a lot of credits and uh, I don't know why he's not bigger than he is because he is amazing. Yeah, I cannot well, say good, enough good things about him as an actor. Robert Donovan, good to know. Let yeah. me ask you this. Yes. Um, have, do you ever feel starstruck or that you're actually going to be meeting with someone you've admired and here you are talking to them about being in your film or do you feel kind of um you know considering you grew up around this and you've grew up with some of the biggest stars in the business as neighbors or friends um maybe there's no intimidation i don't know you know uh I think it sometimes, but I kind of shut it off because at this point we're working together for a common thing. So I'm thinking, looking at it as more, let's collaborate and make the best character we can and make it fit into this the best way we can. So there's always that a little bit in the back of my head of this every once in a while. Oh, this is this person. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, no, stop it. You know, that voice, stop that, uh, focus on what you're doing. So basically that kind of has to Good. So you get over to, it if yeah. you even feel it at all. Yeah. You know? And a lot of times, I mean, you know, I've, a lot of my friends are actors and actresses. I yeah. Mean, uh, I've been, you know, a lot of people in the business. So it kind of, uh, I, I love a lot of films. So when somebody is from something that I've loved or a series that I've loved, yeah, it definitely factors in. I mean, Lance Henderson was an actor that I really admired for a very long yeah, time. So sure. when I worked with him, I remember the first time meeting him, there was a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be. And that was also kind of my first bigger size film so it's kind of I'm going to be working with oh, this yeah. that's amazing he you know? had a period where he was in like everything for oh, a yeah. while right I mean oh yeah I mean and of course everybody when I started saying I was working with him to like some friends of mine they are saying oh you know a lot of people love aliens they're talking about yeah, aliens you know the bishop role and you know the TV series Millennium which I thought was a fantastic show yeah that he was the star of was something that I watched and really thought he uh, admired him in that mm-hmm. show so yeah hey, I'm going to go back to one of the I thought one of the greatest movies I saw in the 70s was Deer Hunter. Oh, yes. That is great. Savage with that brilliant cast. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I didn't really... Who knew Christopher Walken before that movie if you weren't from Broadway or something, you know? What a great Uh, film. That's a great film. Meryl Streep. 
young Meryl Streep. I fell in love with Meryl Streep in that movie. You know, little did I know that she was acting. You know, <laughs> I mean, the Russian roulette scene where John Savage oh. is in the cage, oh. and I think I did mention that to him one time uh, at lunch. <laughs> During one of the films, I said, so John, I do have to ask you about that scene. I don't remember even what I asked him, but I did bring it up one time at lunch because, I mean, that's too much of a classic scene. Oh, forcing yeah. Russian roulette in the cage, I mean. That's classic, by all means. By all means. And if anyone hasn't seen that, uh, Michael Cimino's film, yeah. Robert De Niro, uh, so many of these actors came to be known from this mm-hmm. movie and others. You'll know everybody in this cast just about. Oh, yeah. Um, great movie. But John Savage, I can't say enough good things about working with him. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved working with him. And he will go, you know, his character is this psychiatrist that's kind of a, a shady psychiatrist, let's yeah. say, that's manipulating a lot of people. And there's a certain absurdities with his character, and he just embraces and goes all the way. And he's amazing. And Dominique Swain, in a similar way, embraces her character is very out there, and she just embraces it and just commits to it in just such an amazing way, you know. No fear to go wherever it's, the character's going That's or wherever great. that scene is taking them. That's no fear. Takes. They're wonderful. Yeah. Just wonderful to work with. Yeah, no risks, no gain, kind of, yeah. you know. And that's why they are where they are. I mean, they really, you know, they, they put everything into this. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be talking about all these movies and not mention Eric Roberts oh, with Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Was it the Pope, Pope of Greenwich Village? Pope of Greenwich Village. Village. Yep. Oh, classic. Yep. All the way. There all were several the crew members mentioning that to him, I remember, and he would uh, hold up his thumb every time. Say, oh, really? I have my thumb. So. I love that movie. I could watch that movie again right now. In fact, maybe I will soon. Yeah, Pope so. Eric Roberts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, Oscar. Oscar nominee, you know. And he, he did get a nomination for he, that? He's, well? I don't know if it was for that, but I know he's an Oscar nominee. Oh, okay. I know he's been Oscar nominee. I think more than once. I could be wrong. Oh, well, cool. But yeah, he's... I think for maybe it was Star 80 that he was nominated for. Oh, very good. Now, um, we should kind of give full disclosure here a little bit. Next film, you have a part for me? <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Okay. We won't talk about it, but yes, I yes, will I do. be... Uh, Looking forward to working with Josh and Jesse. And and I look forward to working with Stuart. And it's a, a, a scene, there's one, this is one scene in particular that I absolutely love that Stuart is in. That's all I would say in the script. I find, I absolutely love this scene. And uh, it's, uh, it makes me laugh just even thinking about it. Well, cool. It's well, going to be so great. To and Stuart no, is going to nail this. Stuart is going to absolutely nail this. Well, I hope so. He will. <laughs> Total faith. More than faith. I know well, it's going to happen. Looking forward to it. We're going to make uh, it happen. It's going to be great. Excellent. Well, I can't wait either. So, listen, guys, I, I totally appreciate you coming in. want to thank Jesse as well and Josh. Thank you, Stuart. Join me next time as we go deeper into the woods with actor John Piricello. Thanks so much for being here, folks, on the maiden voyage of Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. And I look forward to seeing you next week as we do journey further into the forest looking for the light. I want to thank my friends Tom Wright and musician Michael O'Neill. And until next time, I'm Stuart Strauss saying take care. Face. They say you're for
so much for listening to this edition of Into the Woods with Stuart Strauss. If you'd like to contact me, use at Stu Strauss. That's S-T-E-W-S-T-R-A-U-S-S, both on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, use my full name, S-T-E-W-A-R-T-S-T-R-A-U-S-S. To get to my website, just add a .net to that, and you're there. I hope that you've enjoyed this show enough to press the like button and please subscribe.